Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Kirsten Stark from Google. Thank you so much for coming to Google's Curiosity Rooms at Selfridges. We're really excited to welcome you guys here tonight. We wanted to invite curious minds to explore the topics that most pique their interest and curiosities. So it's my pleasure to invite Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton of The Hilo, a weekly news and pop culture podcast. They will be recording live tonight. Enjoy. weird normally it's just me and Pandora and Charlie or Dave in a tiny shoebox studio hi Charlie or Dave <laughs> welcome to episode 31 of the Hilo which we are recording live at the curiosity rooms in Selfridges in collaboration with Google in case you're still not quite sure what the Hilo is in which case, kudos for giving out your Friday evening for a completely unknown beast. It is a pop culture and current affairs podcast hosted by Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. Did you want me to say my own name there? I never know. <laughs> you never it's a, do. It's a bit like Jedward. I never know. <laughs> We're really tough to be here tonight. The Curiosity Rooms have hosted some incredible talks. There was the model and activist Adwa Abua here last night. After us tonight is the incredible actor Riz Ahmed. So, like, very similar in terms of celebrity. That's from Riz, by the way, not from us. He just said we're very aligned. So it's I think good to be amongst our people. He's honoured, I think, to be on the bill with us. <laughs> I did have an awful moment when I came into this amazing space tonight and I knew who was speaking after us, and I thought, what if Google and Selfridges, there's been, like, an admin error and they booked the wrong duo and they thought we were, like, Fern Cotton and Holly Willoughby? <laughs> Well, we've got the Madonna microphones on now, so there's no stopping us. Are you us. Holly Willoughby being a my fan cotton? Well, I think you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the High Lows had a pretty intense week, hasn't it, Dolly? We have. We've had two live records. This is our second live record. We've done an author special record, and we did a photo shoot in a bath in a suite at the Savoy, <laughs> which is really not our usual week. But I feel like I've seen Pandora every day and spoken to her every hour. And I, surprisingly, haven't got sick of you yet. I'll check your WhatsApps later. <laughs> yeah, it has been something of a, of a, of a gangbang. So looking forward to a nice long high-low sleep next week when Dolly goes to Thailand on her second gap year. I know. I do think it will be a second gap year. I, do think I can that... imagine you with a bucket at a moon. A moon? One of the moons? I've messed up so much because not only am I going 10 years after everyone my age went, it's also monsoon season, so... <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I've been up to this week, Pandora. What have you been up to this week, Dolly? <laughs> I have watched Freedom, which is the George Michael documentary. Has anyone else watched that? Yeah. life well, Quite a good documentary. You've got friends. Who loved it? Who thought it was a little bit self-indulgent? Just one person, no two people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I loved it because 
But I do think you have to be a George Michael fan. Um, you say this about every musical documentary you watch. You, when you watch Lady Gaga, you're like, I do think you have to be a Lady Gaga fan. And do you know There's what a they hope? You've it, got to be a fan. <laughs> but do you know what they have in common is that they were both. She produced hers and he co-directed his. And you do see the hand of the star in it slightly. I mean, there's this slightly stretched out metaphor of him sitting in a room on a typewriter. where he And they kind of keep flashing back to him and he's kind of sitting there authoring his own destiny. It was all filmed before he died then? It, it was filmed right before he died. And then tragically, he was doing the finishing touches to it. And then he died. So it's very sad because all throughout it, it's um, everyone's speaking about him in the present tense. There's a very strange intro from Kate Moss where she's sitting in the... She's not a public speaker. No, and God love her, you can tell. <laughs> she's, she's sitting... I'm not trying to silence models or women. She's not a natural. She definitely didn't do her Lambda exams. So she's sitting in, like... She sits in the fast love chair and she turns around and just introduces it in about 30 seconds and then just sort of turns the chair around like Dr. Evil and then it starts but I found it very beautiful I'm a massive fan of his music I found it quite depressing realizing that he wrote he was so young when he shot to fame which I didn't realize and he wrote wake me up before you go go when he was 21 but you can't play this game Dolly do you know what I was doing when I was 21 taking poppers from Camden Market <laughs> But it was also, it was amazing because there was an incredible selection of talking heads. Liam Gallagher was on it, uh, Tracy Emin, Elton John. And it's very tragic as well. He had a very difficult life, kind of full of sadness and bereavement. I loved it. It was beautifully done. George Michael fans should watch it. And it also made me very grateful that Farley and I went to go see him live in 2006. And I remember at the time thinking that there was something really special about his music when he sang Freedom, and it was just a sea of rainbow flags, and it was such a powerful yeah, moment. Really so, yeah, it's a reminder to make sure that you take the time to go see those musicians that you love. So I've just been immersed in George Michael's <laughs> back catalogue since. What have you been up to this week? I started reading American Girls, the Social Media and the Secret Life of Teenagers by Nancy Jo Sales. She's a contributing editor at Vanity Fair. And I think one of our listeners actually recommended it to us. came out last year. And I've just started, and I'm already obsessed with it, already devastated that I didn't write it, which is a horrible <laughs> feeling it's going to stay with me the entire You and I are yeah. so self-involved. I'm sad I didn't write Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. <laughs> I'm sad I didn't interview 200 teenagers in 10 different American states about how social media is their life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just incredible research and really revelatory about digital media and teenagers. And I have also started watching the fourth series of Transparent. What do you think of it? I think it's, if possible, bolder than ever. I think it's the first time, I might be wrong, but I feel like it might be the first time that you have seen a trans fully frontal nude scene on mainstream TV. I can't be sure, but I would hazard a guess that's... I mean, Jill Soloway correct. is always very brave with her material. But I thought that was great, because I think the only way to normalise different bodies is to have them as part of a natural narrative, like showing... Yeah, rather exactly, than, exactly. Rather than telling. So I thought that was good. I've also tweeted this week, obviously, that I've been feeling pretty furious and pretty tired. Who's feeling fucking furious this week? <laughs> I think it's a sentiment lots of people have been feeling in the last few weeks. Uh, let's talk about the Me Too hashtag. Uh, so for anyone who's unfamiliar, the Me Too campaign in light of the Harvey Weinstein debacle has spread across social media, inviting women to share their stories of sexual abuse and sexual harassment. And it's been sparking conversations about 
sexism and harassment on the kind of scale that I have never seen before. It's been quite extraordinary. It's been across the board. It's been all different types of women of all different ages talking about experiences with people in their industry, calling out colleagues, bosses, family members, friends. And I think it's a force that has really emboldened women. And it's been quite amazing to watch. Yeah, I'm not always invested in hashtag activism. And I really have never got on board with those sort of the feminist clothing at the moment. You know, the T-shirts that say feminist or the T-shirts that say woman. I don't know anyone that would wear them and I don't really understand what it's achieving. But I felt really invested and I feel really invested in the Me Too campaign. It really reveals that absolute power of female storytelling. So it's become this platform for women to collectively share Mm. their stories of sexual harassment, whether that be intimidation or rape. And it's like women have finally been given permission to speak about these things, um, which is kind of devastating in itself that we had to wait for a hashtag campaign to give that kind of collective permission. But literally everyone has a story. And I've actually spoken to quite a few men who have been really overwhelmed by the fact that every woman has a story. I think it's been a real moment for, for men who are guilty of it or for or allies who have just thought, had no idea that it's something that women carry with them. But yeah, that everyone's got a story yeah. of, whether it's micro or macro, where they have felt deeply intimidated and really devastated yeah. and kind of ashamed by what they've experienced. Yeah. But one, one guy said to me, um, you know, could it be that people are jumping on the bandwagon? And I said, well, yes, if the bandwagon is a vehicle of completely true and authentic facts, then yeah, absolutely, every yeah. single woman's jumping on the bandwagon right now. I invited women to tell me their Me Too stories on my Instagram page. You can read them all. It's at Pandora Sykes. I've been really staggered by the response. I've had, I think, over 85 at the time of recording this. 85 women have shared their stories with me. So thank you. I read every single one. To kickstart it, I actually shared two of my own, which are... I'm going to say pretty commonplace. I imagine a lot of people have had these. So a man placing his palm over my vagina on the tube, which is the locus of many of these stories. And I didn't say anything, I just lifted it off. And a man asking me when I was barely a teenager if anyone had ever been inside my box. If you're wondering how that came around, Greek myth, Pandora's box. Heard it a thousand times. Never a good chat-up line. What a clever man. Especially when you're 12. (laughs) I'm just going to read a few of the stories written on my page. They're quite graphic. Um, There's just little excerpts from each. My GP when I was nine, a vicar when I was 13, a Spanish lorry driver when I was 17. Aged 15, I was chased by a man on a moped who shoved me to the ground and said, I'm going to fuck you and make you bleed. A man masturbated over me on the tube, aged 15. I had to leave my job when I was a PA as my boss wouldn't leave me alone. It was the 80s, no one listened to women. Well, they're listening now, and so many of the stories are ones that I know friends have experienced. There were a lot of man masturbating in front of me, me running, screaming, him laughing. There was a lot of man pressing his erection into me when I'm on the tube. Almost all of the stories were very, very young girls experiencing that. A lot of them were underage. Yeah, amazing. I mean... I found it a really powerful thing. I think when women come together feeling safe and supported like that, I think it can be it can be really magic. And I think it's felt like a really powerful experience hanging, having everyone kind of share those stories. And it also makes me realise this is how 
men must feel all the time because what that what happens is when you have a group of women who are all saying I believe you because this has happened to me I believe that that could happen to you is that it gives you a sense of agency and it gives you validation and it gives you it gives your stories legitimacy and, and permission and power and permission and power it's like how amazing would it be to tell stories of wrongdoings and know that they would be taken seriously. Suddenly, we're in, a, we're in a place now where everyone's taking them seriously. But fuck me, it shouldn't have to take, you know, thousands and thousands of other women to, to give us that kind of confidence. And I've been having some amazing conversations this week, as I, I hope you all have as well, with women, you know, sharing stories about men that I know, men in my industry. And there have been moments of recognition. And there have been lots of talks about how we change it. And yet, it's been a real moment of solidarity, I think. And I did a tweet about it, actually, where I said, I just push back so much on this idea that women are each other's worst enemies in these moments because I just think we can be each other's champions and warriors in moments like this. We can be both at times. <laughs> we are not one thing. Yeah, I've been astounded by the engagement of this campaign. I mean, like anything that rips through the cultural narrative, there's obviously been some antipathy towards it. I don't think it's possible for anything to happen now like that without there being a negative or a negative hot take because of the internet. Mm. I've read a few pieces around the notion of collective victimhood or as one writer rather boldly put it, a chorus of woe, suggesting that this is allowing women to dwell on what's happened to them and whether or not we should be focusing on negative experiences that women have had with men rather than the positive ones they have. And I found that really interesting because I'd like to think that most women have most women, not all sadly, but most women have positive experiences with men every single day. I thought that's a given. I don't mm. think the Me Too campaign negates that. No. I have positive experiences with men every single day, whether it's my husband, my brother, my father, the male editor today who commissioned me and was great. I don't think that Me Too is diminishing positive experiences between women and men, but equally having a positive experience as a singular woman is not the same as the collective issue of systemic and endemic sexism. Like, I imagine you have positive experiences with men every single day. Very rarely. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell, darling. (laughs) No, I completely agree with you, and I think that counter-argument doesn't work in terms of, I work from home and I don't have a husband. (laughs) I have positive experiences with the postman. (laughs) Oi, oi. (laughs) This is when it gets loose, women. No, I think that counter-argument doesn't wash with me at all about how it's about man-hating or um, how it negates positive experiences. Well, it reminds me of what Emma Watson said in which she that amazing speech in 2014 in the UN, and she said, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said something like this myth that anything about kind of female empowerment is to do with man-hating, like, that's got to stop. Like, women's rights are not equated to, like... Fuck you, men. But like, it's go also, away. It's, it's just not so, like, things. dated, that idea of feminism, like, drives me mad. But, no, the only negativity that I've seen, not negativity, but kind of constructive criticism that I've seen against the Me Too hashtag is a lot of women have come out and said, it feels like it's a shame that we have to expose these very personal mm. stories, often, that can be very humiliating, that can be about very personal physical experiences. And it's a shame that we have to share them to be believed. You know, we have to, we have to 
plummet to the depths of... Was the onus on us. Yeah, and also we just have to plummet to the depths of our own kind of personal experience and humiliation to like, and then come back up with it almost as evidence and be like, see, see, look at my pain. And I do understand that. There's um, Sally Hughes wrote a very good piece for The Pool where she said kind of the same thing, where she was looking at both sides of it and she said, what I would like now are for men to come out and, and do their Me Too. I would like for them to come out and honestly say the moments in which they have, on reflection, overstepped the mark. And maybe that would be, you know, a kind of exchange that would be worthy. But I, I agree with you. I, I didn't wash for me the idea that, that somehow it's about man-hating. Sally's piece was great, and I can see what she means, that it might be really triggering or really, uh, you know, damaging to someone's psyche to revisit what they've been through. But I would see the campaign as something that everyone can be involved in, but it's, it's obviously voluntary as to whether or not you tell your story, totally. whether you put it out there. You know, it could, it could feel quite cathartic to tell it. Equally, it could not be for you, but you can still stand by and listen and hear, hear the women that have been. Exactly, and obviously, like, feminist infighting is a thing that happens and it breaks my heart, but, like, I think we have to be careful not to judge other women with how they deal with and express themselves at this time that's very upsetting. If people want to share their stories, that's very useful and powerful. If they don't, they don't have to. I think the whole kind of, we should skew this towards having positive experiences with men and to build on that, you know, that whole thing about I've had friends who are like, I just worry that this will make feminists look like sort of screaming banshees and men will be scared. But I think to co-opt a hashtag that's doing really interesting, quite vital work where women can finally share their stories in order to talk about the positive experiences that one would assume you already have, is to kind of miss a moment where women can finally speak out about those things. And I, I actually asked my husband, I was like, are you offended by this hashtag? And he was like, I was like, do you think this is saying that all men are sexual predators? He was like, obviously not. Like, this is a huge fucking problem. And it's, it's kind of atrocious to see how much of it just has gone, you know, yeah. unsaid. But it's about that, like, collective, as we would say, that collective systemic Thing And I've read some really interesting comments on Facebook, actually. Not anyone I know, but you know when people share articles and somehow it just pops up on your Facebook? You join into a conversation, which I never, never, ever normally do. But I was really interested because I read some great responses by lots of guys on this piece. I can't remember what piece it was. Saying, like, I'd love to join in, but, like, I don't know how. How do I join into this campaign? And I just replied to one of them saying, yeah, I mean, you, you can absolutely join in you know you don't need to use the hashtag and tell your own story as a woman in order to be part of this campaign like the campaign relies on enlightened men yeah. to support it women yeah, aren't exactly. gonna dismantle sexism on our own by themselves you know and also you can participate where stepping in whether that's physically or mentally every time you see a woman being harassed you know if you see a man making a woman on the tube feel really uncomfortable step in sit next to her walk by her side put yourself kind of physically and mentally in between her and her abuser in a way that she doesn't feel strong enough as a woman in this society to do i mean it ain't like we're going to do it on our own No, and I'd also like to point out here, this has been, like, really annoying me all week. We're allowed to be angry about this. That's okay. You're allowed to be an angry feminist. I'm allowed to be an angry feminist. I've got a hell of a lot to be angry about. Like, I'm allowed to be angry about the men who have taken advantage of me or made me feel unsafe since I was a child. I'm allowed to be angry at those men. I'm allowed to be angry for my friends who have experienced that. I'm allowed to be angry for the women whose stories I read online who I don't know. I'm allowed to be annoyed about that because, you know, in those moments of 
humiliation or betrayal or objectification or abuse they're not it's not just that moment i know this this is something that as a woman when it happens to you particularly at a young age you carry that with you forever and that changes or can have an effect on the way you feel about your body your sexuality how you are with intimacy how you are with men it's a serious serious business so you know if you can read go to that hashtag and read all those stories and not be angry or enraged i think there's something kind of wrong with you like i think you know i'm really bored of this angry feminist stereotype that i feel we all shy you know well no sorry not all i shy away from because i'm worried about um, you know, being a disruptor or being attention-seeking or, or hysterical or alienating or a man-hater or a kind of lily-livered victim. Yeah, we're allowed to... Be, and actually, my favourite piece from this week was from Lindy West, who wrote a piece about the hashtag for the New York Times. And more generally, she wrote about kind of people speaking out. And it was... I think it was titled, Yes, There's a Witch Hunt and I'm the Witch. I'm just going to read a bit now. She's um, directing it to Woody Allen. So, Mr. Allen et al., I know you hate gossip and rumour mills, but unfortunately, they're the only recourse we have. We wish it were different, too. In a just system, Weinstein would have faced career-ruining social and professional consequences the first time he changed into a bathrobe and begged a horrified woman for a massage. In a just system, the abuse wouldn't have stayed an open secret for decades while he was left free to chew through generation after generation of starlets. Weinstein's life, like Cosby's, isn't the story of some tragic, pitiable downfall. It's the story of someone who got away with it. The witches are coming, but not for your life. We're coming for your legacy. The cost of being Harvey Weinstein is not getting to be Harvey Weinstein anymore. We don't have the justice system on our side. We don't have institutional power. We don't have millions of dollars or the presidency. But we have our stories, and we're going to keep telling them. Happy Halloween. <laughs> I love that ending. She timed it really well. What would she have done if it was November? Happy Christmas? <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's really interesting is, you know, we can't, as you say, we can't topple you. No. But you won't, you won't have your legacy anymore, and your legacy was the... Look what's happening this week, you know... W- People are being toppled by these stories, you know. Yeah. I've been really exhausted, actually, by the inability of quite a few sort of the things I've read or the various things on Twitter or tweets that I've been sent to see that there's kind of a sliding scale of culturally how we can be permissive about the way people behave and that, you know, there is a route to every problem and you don't just start with a macro act of harassment like rape. You start with a micro act. And I... You know, whether that starts with a squeeze of a boob or why won't you shag me and then ends in rape. But someone tweeted me going, you can't honestly say that catcalling leads to rape. And I was like, you're taking this insanely literally. No one's saying that a man who's catcalled in one second is going to, you know, rape someone the next moment. But it builds a culture. It builds a culture. And I mean, put it like this. I don't think Harvey Weinstein, yeah, him again, woke up one morning and thought, do you know what? Out of nowhere today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rape a lady. I'm going to find a nice, juicy lady and I'm going to rape her. It will have started incrementally over years. God knows how young when exactly. he started to treat women like that. Exactly. You know, I think he'll have woken up many years ago as a young man and thought, hmm, I'm a man and I want me a lady and society allows me to pursue the one I want. And maybe he felt a girl up more than she felt like. And, you know, he, he thought that was quite, quite fun. And a few years later, he's more rich, he's more powerful. He's felt these girls up because society has, you know, decided that he's allowed to, boys being boys. And then he thinks, and let me see if I can find a woman who I can wank over. You know, let me see. And he does. He finds lots that he can get away with it. And he thinks, okay, this is great. 
and liking what he sees more powerful than ever before, you know, richer than he could ever, ever imagined, facilitated by fixers and producers and assistants exactly, and people running around after him. Lawyers who will pay off his multiple lawsuits. He then goes, right, well, I see a woman. I'm taking it. It's mine. And it starts off with a boys will be boys cushion. A lot of you may have seen that amazing cushion. And it starts with women having no agency in a situation, however small it may seem. And it starts by writing off a time when a teenage boy has been inappropriate to a teenage girl and she's run home and cried after a party. And it ends up with a culture where you have a boss who can rape an employee and she gets fired by HR, which is a story I read of a friend of a friend this week. Well, That's it's exactly as you say, it's about working out how this culture has been built brick by brick from the bottom up and then dismantling it. On a side note, did you read the piece about the, what the Russian, kind of Russian Hollywood thought about the Harvey Weinstein thing? No, I'm nervous. So it was on um, the Moscow Times, which I don't read <laughs> regularly. What um, were you doing on the Moscow Times? It was translated. <laughs> okay. uh, someone, someone sent me a link. I love Twitter, very useful. Um, <laughs> and they'd, they'd interviewed various people, and most of, them, most of them, to be fair, were like, yeah, no, not good, don't like it. But there was one Russian actor named... I, my pronunciation is off, Lyubov Tolkalina, who um, said that women should be grateful that Harvey Weinstein wants to harass them, and that's just what men do, and they use their power as they should be allowed, and it's really unfeminine to complain about it. And weirdly, Jesus the fallout has Christ. been really small. I've only read about it on the Moscow Times. <laughs> no, it just seems to just get away with it. But I've had a few Russian women actually tweet me saying, this is a culture I saw a lot in Russia from other women. This is why I left Russia. And someone wrote something quite interesting on the subject of kind of global harassment, reaction, however you want to put it. Wrote something on my Instagram saying that in Saudi Arabia, women will only clean in pairs because of the, the culture that's so permissive there around harassment. But that's why I think this is so powerful, this hashtag and this storytelling space, because I have... I have no idea about that. It makes you realise that this is a culture that, where women's bodies are basically seen as playthings for men. That's global, and it, it transcends class. It transcends, it's everywhere. It can be the, the nine-year-old being touched class up. class and economics, I agree. It's, exactly. It can be the nine-year-old being touched up by the GP. It can be a woman being wanked over on the bus. It can be you know, that, the two cleaners in Saudi Arabia. It can be Hollywood stars. Yeah. This is how all-encompassing it is. We'd love to know your thoughts, whether you're listening right here or listening later when this goes out as a podcast, on the Me Too campaign. Um, it's thrown up so many interesting conversations. We've, I mean, this is the third week we've spoken about something yeah. around what kind of, I suppose, Harvey Weinstein triggered. There you go. That's one thing to thank Harvey Weinstein for, is we're having the yeah, conversation. It's a shame it took him, but, you know, at least we're having And it also, this hashtag is definitely change is happening. This morning, I woke up to a message from a man who's vaguely in the public eye, who I met in my early 20s. He's quite a lot older than me. He's married. And he tried it on with me in quite a forceful way that I found quite upsetting at the time. And I got a message from him this morning saying... He's not like a friend. I, don't, you know, I haven't seen him in years. Saying... A question has been in the heads of a lot of men in the wake of everything that's happened in the last two weeks. And it's an uncomfortable question. And the answer for me is the night that I met you. And I know that I was a total creep and I behaved appallingly. And I want you to know I think about that night all the time. And I'm really, truly sorry. 
And I'll never know whether he did that because he's for fear of being exposed or whether he really was, you know, repentant for what happened. But all I do know is I don't think he'll ever do it again to another young woman. So I don't really care the reason why. And I think that's a really powerful thing. What did you say back? Uh, fuck off. No, I said, <laughs> I said, I really appreciate this message. And I was honest. I said I did find it very difficult. And it did make me very angry at men. But that's not just your doing. And I appreciate you taking the time to uh, send that to me. So hopefully Me Too will continue to inspire women to share the stories of abuse without feeling shamed, without feeling invalidated as women for sharing them. And boys will not be boys if it means sticking an erection into someone's back on their way to work and it being okay. So two words to end that on would be me too. And me too. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Support for this week's episode of The Hilo comes from Pop Chips, mine and Pandora's favorite snack that, by a stroke of luck, aren't that bad for you. Pop chips are deeply satisfying without being deep fried, giving all the flavour of fried crisps with less than half the fat and under 100 calories per serving. Now, Pandora, we're in a circle of trust here. Why don't you tell the listeners about your pop chips habit? I eat them every (laughs) single day. Every single day. It would be verging on a problem if I felt guilty about it. I first discovered Pop Chips when I worked in an office a few years ago and they had a huge box of them delivered. I think I ate three packets in lieu of a meal for a solid fortnight, (laughs) every meal, which I would not recommend. But in moderation, as a snack, my God, they're delicious. (laughs) They come in 12 flavours. I particularly like the barbecue. What about you, Panda? I like to err on the more cautious side of the flavour scale. I don't live life in the barbecue fast lane like you, Dolly. I find the salt and pepper flavour particularly moorish. There's also new Buffalo Ranch flavoured ridged pop chips. Spice up your snack life with tangy hot buffalo sauce tempered with creamy cooling ranch. (laughs) Pandora is actually morphing into a giant pop chip before my eyes as we speak, so I better sign off now and see to her. Thanks very much to Pop Chips. From female solidarity to a story that exhibits the total opposite, slut shaming. Rob Kardashian's... It wouldn't be an episode of The High Low without the Kardashians. Rob Kardashian's ex-fiancé, Black China is suing the entire Kardashian family, who she says defamed her in an attempt to ruin her career. She claims she also suffered personal, professional and financial damage as a result. She is asking for unspecified damages. That's going to be a tidy sum. You wouldn't sue the entire Kardashian family for 200 quid. I'm riveted by the logistics of... Suing an entire family. I know. Like, is there a scale of sums? Because Rob was obviously her fiance and he behaved the worst. Is he sued for like the most amount? And then one of the sisters, whoever was like least prevalent at the time. Okay, Kylie. I mean, that's like a pot shot in the dark. There's so many of them. But you know, would Kylie be sued for the least? <laughs> is it a sliding scale of suing? S- sadly, I can't tell you that, Pandora. <laughs> 
But I can tell you, Black China includes a blow-by-blow account of the spats that happened between her and her ex-fiancé, Rob, who's also the father of her child, uh, some of which were very public and played out on social media, some of which we discussed on the podcast. One of the incidents was a recent feud in which Rob Kardashian posted nude photos of her on social media. What do you make of this story, Pandora? Very strange. No, I remember we talked about it when we had our author special with Elizabeth Day when the nude pictures came out. And I mean, it's obviously not classy to share pictures of your ex-fiancé's vag on social media. Just it was illegal, off. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely enter that into the canon of sexual harassment. He said she'd cheated on him with lots of people and she'd done drugs and she'd said that he abused her. And either way, who knows what but i know this is perhaps misunderstanding and negating the entire premise of reality tv and chris jenner's role as momager and you know making him into the most famous family in the world but i don't understand why all this is being played out in the public eye why do we know she's suing the whole family (laughs) i'm all for her suing rob kardashian obviously as the lawyer points out it's illegal revenge porn is illegal it's a violation of her human rights and her femininity and her sexuality and her dignity. And discussed this before, slut-shaming is a real problem that goes far beyond this incident. And I'm really kind of bored of women being punished for being sexually free. And I live in hope that one day there'll be a world where a woman can be as sexually explorative as a man and do so joyfully and not live in kind of constant fear. But why the whole family? (laughs) <laughs> We're really coming back I mean, to family. You, well, you are more au fait with the Kardashian Chronicles than I am. So I read with the Chronicles with a K. Well, I read on TMZ that she is... It wouldn't sound the same as TMZ, would it? That she's <laughs> suing them because they torpedoed... love this word. Torpedoed her reality TV show, which was called Rob and China. So the lawsuit reads, rather than trying to protect Rob Kardashian from cameras, in reality, the famous family was flexing their muscles so as to destroy Miss White's career so that she was no longer able to compete against the Kardashian-Jenner women as an entrepreneur and social media influencer. Who's Miss White? Is she not Miss China? <laughs> That's like her nom, her like nom de plume, her stage name. Her <laughs> nom de plume. Her social influence name. <laughs> I actually don't know what her real name is, but I'm guessing it's White. White. Yeah. It's just all really transactional. Every time I read anything about this, it's, it's him listing how much he spent on her, and it's her listing, well, not in this case, but how much she wants or how much she's worth. And obviously, money is involved when you sue someone, but around the whole kind of Kardashian, Jenner, black, China, white... Oh, look, that's got a nice ring. Black. Maybe her name is Black White. It's not, it's not, it's not. But do you remember how Cilla Black was Priscilla White? Yeah, Yeah. maybe they're related. They're definitely not related. I really know nothing about the Kardashians. (laughs) But I I watched a bit of the Kardashians when I was in New York last month, and I don't habitually watch it. But I find it inoffensive. It's it's pretty banal, and they're, they're, you know, close as a family. But one thing that does really strike me when I watch it is the absolute kind of obsession with, like, the disposability of money. Mm. So every single member of the family, including Kylie, who's like 18, 19, 20, one of those three, has a 10,000 square foot house and they have like six cars and a new one will turn out because it just looks really cute in that colour and it's really disposable. And That was I, a good impression. I feel like this lawsuit is kind of 
I don't know, it feels really depressing. There's two separate things going on there. Is him slut-shaming her by sharing naked pictures of her on social media is hideous. And, you know, he probably should be sued, I agree, because it has to set a precedent. Yeah, exactly. And actually, in the book that I was reading by Nancy Jo Sales, slut-shaming is huge in teenagers. You know, I was reading a 14-year-old girl, was asked to send one by a guy. He was like, I won't show anyone. I just have to prove that I can get the prettiest girl to send me one. And, you, and I, even reading it, I was like, God, why did you fall for that? And then you're like, of course you'd fall for that. 14. Of course you'd fall for that. You yeah. think, oh, my God, how... I don't know, wow, and we're lucky it wasn't around when we were young. But, so I think that that's really important. But the suing the whole family thing, there's something really dark about suing a whole family because you're not allowed to compete with them as social media entrepreneurs. I mean, I, don't think, I think this must be a precedent. There cannot be another lawsuit where you're suing a family because you can't be the social media entrepreneur that you want to be. I do sort of applaud her for taking on the, the Kardashian force, <laughs> spearheaded like, by Kris Jenner. Like, who else is it like taking on? It's sort of like taking on the Kremlin. The royal family, yeah. Putin. Putin. It is a bit like taking on Putin. Apparently, I read um, a source says that the Kardashians are not worried about it. <laughs> um, but it's funny, when I read this story, I, I don't have many opinions on the Kardashians. I do find them quite fascinating as an entity. But when I was reading this, I was like, you and I have these moments when we're doing these stories and we're exploring them where we're like, oh, God, all humans are the same, aren't they? Celebrities, humans, you know, if we cut us open, we will bleed. And then you, like, have a moment like this, you're like, oh, actually, we're completely different. <laughs> like, imagine a world where on the Sykes family WhatsApp, which I know exists, <laughs> imagine... <laughs> imagine if there was, like, the discussion... Imagine, like, the Sykes team meeting about someone's ex suing the entire Sykes family. The logistics of even trying to explain, though, that my brother's ex-fiancé was suing because she wasn't allowed to become a social media entrepreneur. I mean, my dad still calls an oyster card an octopus card. You, Im you imagine trying to explain, like, a defamation suit because you couldn't be the social media <laughs> entrepreneur you wanted to become. I mean, it's not funny remotely, obviously, but it is a specifically Hollywood context. Yeah, this um, exactly. discussion. Anyway, on that note, does anyone have anything they would like to ask for Ask the Hilo? We Don't have the Hilo's first ever roving mic. Look how exciting it is. Hi. Um, hello. Hello. Um, we were actually talking about this earlier. Um, how do you deal with boyfriends imposing families? So say your boyfriend's brother is... <coughs> your boyfriend follows his brother, leads a lot, and... How do you deal with that? I mean, I haven't had a boyfriend since. <laughs> da, 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 um, I'm not asking for sympathy, I'm just questioning the legitimacy of my advice. <laughs> um, imposing families. Okay, well, in 1984, when you last had one. Uh, I have friends who have that issue with um, mother-in-laws. Who did you say it was that's causing the problem? His, his brother. His brother? What's he doing? He just always does what he does. Oh, so he copies him? Sort of, yeah. Oh, I mean, that is specific. <laughs> I haven't had that before. Um, Can you tell that inside Dolly's head is just going, no advice, no advice, no advice, no advice. <laughs> it's a, do you have to hang out with him all the time? Yes. That's annoying, <laughs> yeah. You, are you, is it your boyfriend? Yes. So we're not asking for a friend. I love when someone goes, I'm asking for a friend. It's like, <laughs> no, Monica, you're asking for yourself. Um, he's got to tell him to get some independence. You can't copy your brother when you're, I'm going to say, 20s. Not wearing my yeah. glasses either. Yeah, and having to hang out with two brothers all the time, like, it's not the in-betweeners. 
Oh, oh, I'd find that. Does he come on dates with you? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Sounded like when you said last episode, your friend's Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> um, I think you have to, like, tell him what's up. I think you have to tell him, like, no, stop copying your brother and stop coming on dates with us, you weirdo. That's what you have to say. That was, Good luck with that. That was completely unhelpful, and the next advice will be better. Don't let that put you off asking a question. I just moved to London full-time about six weeks ago, and it's great that there's so much stuff like this on, but how on earth do you deal with the constant fear of missing out when there's so many things you could be going to? I've just got old, and I just don't get FOMO now. You're right, there is. God, it's probably good we haven't moved to London... Now. I think my FOMO's worse than yours. I, honestly, I, don't, I, I would not... Yeah, I don't... I wouldn't get... Fi- I know what you mean. I, if I hear about a great talk and I didn't know it was on, that's really annoying. But um, I don't know, maybe I'm too lazy. I would I, be sad of missing out on my bath and us. I had... Um, I used to have this in my... How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 26. 26. There's no excuse for you. I used to have this um, in my... Well, actually, when I first moved to London, I was exactly the same. And I remember if I ever had a night that wasn't, like, the best night of my life, I would, like, wander around London really sad and just be like... Oh, God, yeah, you where... go, one would go out every single night. Yeah. Except Sunday night. And then you'd be like, well, where, everyone's having fun with, other than me. And you'd be like, where are all these amazing places I should be going? And just remember that, like, a city won't run out and don't exhaust yourself and don't spend all your money because that will be awful and you'll just be sitting at home super glum. So I would just hone in. How many nights a week do you go out? Three? Yeah, three's a good number. Yeah, it used to be five or six. Now two or three. Yeah. But I mean, I I haven't seen the... I don't think I've gone past midnight for a while. (laughs) Haven't been night clubbing. No, I definitely haven't been... I definitely haven't been clubbing in a while. Is that weird? Used to go to a nightclub and then get up for work four hours later. Why in God's name do people do that to themselves? Can you imagine? I know. We're not going clubbing tonight. We're not going clubbing no. tonight. Screw this. <laughs> Who else has got a question? Hi, guys. I was just wondering how you deal with um, older people or just difficult people in relation to being feminists and being independent and in, in relation to like, um, all the stuff that's come out, like Me Too hashtag, and trying to explain it to people who who laugh at it or I mean that's that's really awful thing to say but you know they, no, don't, they yeah. don't want to hear it yeah. because it's uncomfortable and yeah they just don't want to know I would say pick your conversations I would not if I was sitting next to a 70 year old I would not go into me too in the way I just did then partly because I wouldn't want to talk about wanking and vagas to a 70 year old but yeah I, I would love to say that I would talk to same you know, everyone in the same way about my same views. But honestly, I, for a start, I'm not a, I'm not a hero. I, don't, I can't, like, I don't want to change. I do want to change everyone's minds, but kind of not at the same time. I don't want to engage in conversations with people that I know would inevitably fail. So whether that's being careful about the politics you discuss with older family members or reading a situation before, like, launching into big conversation about feminism. You know, the conversations I have with Dolly are not the conversations I would have with, not even older generations, with every friend, because debates are great, but very often it's not a debate. You're just, you're going to miss, you're going to be like ships passing in the night. Um, And I think it's really important not to be in an echo chamber. So there's obviously a big thing at the moment about people only following... You know, if you're liberal, only following liberal people on social media. If you're very right-wing, only following very right-wing people on social media. 
and I try and introduce some political views into the social media that I follow, which I don't agree with, although inevitably they just really, really piss me off. And whilst it is important to know like, other people's views, I don't think you have to embroil yourself in discussions with people whose minds you will never change and you'll inevitably just fall out with them and feel furious. I'd love to be in a world where we could all have open conversations and all understand each other and empathise, but that doesn't always happen between generations. Yeah, and I think you have to, as difficult as it is, something I've learned is you, someone who's coming at something, especially with someone older, coming from a completely different place, you have to show them compassion and you have to try and understand the context of their views. So, like, I have to often remember with my 72-year-old father that this is a man who grew up calling his father sir, you know. So when I hold that context close to me, it makes it much easier for me to communicate with him rather than being too charged with anger and then we listen to each other more. Thank you so much to coming to the high-low live record at the Curiosity Rooms. We've loved speaking to you. Thank you very much to Selfridges and Google for having us. We are super excited to have signed a partnership with Google. So this will not be the last time that we get to do something like this. And hopefully we haven't put you all off and we might see some of you again another time. Thank you very much. Thanks. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.